Welcome to American Players Theater Talk Backs to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk up the hill with Orange Schroeder and me as Orange talks with director Risa Brainin and actor Marcus Trushinsky about APT's 2018 production of Measure for Measure by William Shakespeare. We're going to be talking about Measure for Measure by William Shakespeare, and I have with me uh, Risa Brainin, who's directing it and who hasn't been back at APT for quite a while as a director, so we're happy to have her here, and uh, Marcus Trushinsky, who is uh, Angelo in this year's production. So uh, I'd like to start by asking uh, Risa, in the director's note, you mentioned that there's a contemporary resonance in Measure for Measure. Do you want to start by talking about that? Sure, there's so many contemporary resonances in the play. I mean, it's really a play about leadership and what is good leadership. And I think it's a question we might be asking ourselves right now. <laughs> um, and and in the play, there there are these kind of examples of leadership. Um, the Duke is it has not been a great leader. Admittedly, he admits himself that he hasn't been a great leader. He's kind of put his head in the sand as everything in his dukedom has uh, exploded in one way or another. We we don't really know. Shakespeare doesn't say exactly what's happened, but it's things have been running amok, and so he puts Angelo in charge, who is a very strict. Uh, person and he starts to rule the complete opposite way. He takes a law that's not been on the books for 19 years. It's been it's on the books but hasn't been used, and he starts using the law and throws people in jail and and puts people on death row for uh, really for sleeping with someone outside of marriage. So it's a very severe law and. Um, and so those two examples of leadership, I think right now in, in our country, we're, we're trying to, to figure out, you know, what makes a great leader? And um, so that's one important resonance. The, a, a couple others are the play deals with sexual harassment um, and hypocrisy. Uh, again, you know, now we're in a, this moment of, of Me Too and having all of these kinds of discussions. We're also in a moment of dealing with immigration issues and because of the way that we have cast the play and we have a, a, a Latinx family in the play, uh, there, there are those kinds of resonances as well as, um, as this law comes down and it's breaking up a family. So that updates the play a little bit. Is it set in a more modern time period, or it is? It is set now, and it has a, a contem- what I call contemporary flavor. Um, so it's not up to the minute, 2018 cell phones. We're not not going that far, but it does. The silhouettes will all be recognizable as now in 21st century. And you mentioned the character of Angelo. I'd like to ask Marcus. Um, of course, the, the name Angelo comes from Angel, and uh, there's quite a contrast to whether he's uh, a good person or a bad person. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I, as an actor, you can never really look at a person if they're as a good person or a bad person or if they're evil or not, because we have to kind of be empathetic to them or we can't actually play them, I, I, I feel, uh, honestly. Um, but I I think... Angel in his name is who he's always wanted to be and who he's always portrayed himself to be. And so he's, he follows an extremely strict moral code. And I, I feel like he is trying 
according to his own moral code, to be the best person that he can be, and he slips, like we all do. He, um, and I, I feel like that's the most interesting part about him as a character is his flaws. He succumbs to temptation, and which we all do. It's a very human thing to do, and he does terrible terrible things and lies about it and tries desperately to hold on to uh, his own moral code, but his faults break him apart and he becomes something else. So the play talks about um, the temperance of justice with mercy and that's missing in his character, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the best part about the play is that the people show him mercy uh, later on. And the thing that he can't ever give over to because of his strict moral code, um, which is funny because his religious beliefs are all kind of based on that, on forgiveness and mercy. And, And yet he, he can't do it. He can't do it, which makes him a great character to play because nobody wants to play the characters well at least me I don't want to play the characters that are that you just show their strengths but I'm just I'm not interested in that in that as an actor anymore I'm, I'm interested in people's flaws even in my comic parts <laughs> I think uh, the weaknesses in, in humans is, is what's interesting to see on stage and I think that's a beautiful thing about the play is that you all of the characters are flawed and they all have great journeys in the play to self-discovery. Um, and you know, at the end of the play, everyone has changed. And that, that's a, a great thing about this play, I think. And some people say that Measure for Measure is a problem play. Why is that? And do you think it is? Well, it's called a comedy. You know, it has at the end of the play, everything is supposedly wrapped up and it's a a quote-unquote happy ending, and yet it deals with all these very dark subjects. And I think that's what is is problematic in thinking about the play. The other thing is that um, Isabel, um, who is the... Uh, she's a novitiate and ends up going through quite a lot in the play. At the very end of the play, um, there, she is. There's a proposal made to her, and Shakespeare doesn't give you any words after that for her. And so it's a very open-ended uh, moment. Like, what happens? Does she take the proposal? Does she not take the proposal? And every production has to wrestle with what that is. What is her reaction to that proposal? And I understand that some productions take a pretty radical um, ending because they they can put it on as long as they don't add words to the script. I don't know what we would term radical. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in in terms of the, it being it set now, there there are a lot of things to consider. It's very complex. if you did it in a different time period, you could justify a lot of things. If you do it now, you really have to think about what, what does it mean? What, is, what does that proposal mean? And what does her reaction mean? And how to handle that? But I'm not going to tell you how we do it. <laughs> we'll, definitely, it. we'll definitely have to wait and see it on stage. Um, the subplot with uh, Pompey, is that how we're pronouncing it? Um, does that serve any function beyond comic relief? 
I, I think so. I mean, you, what's interesting is that Shakespeare doesn't tell you much about what has gone wrong in the world. I mean, he says, um, I can't think of the quote right now, you probably can, about um, that things are out of control. The, the idea is that things seem to be out of control. There is the idea that uh, prostitution is become an important part of the society that 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 the society doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, laws right now um, that society is represented by a very few people in the play by Pompey mistress overdone Lucio um, then you have elbow who's the constable um, you have froth who is someone who's frequents um, the the uh, the house of prostitution. So you have this group of people that represent the society as it is. So I think in that sense, they're they're really important to to show a little bit of what a, a little peek into that world that Angelo is trying to suppress. It's kind of Dickensian in that way. I never really thought about it, but it shows both sides of of. I mean, it shows the kind of the uh, the the justice side, the uh, the uh, the royalty, and but it also shows the the people, the people that are affected by this law that is now put into place and how they're. It's it's kind of funny that they, um, how their lives are impacted by having their jobs and lives taken away too. So it isn't only funny but it it's it's real and that's what makes it funny i think that and david daniel's playing the part so it's going to be it's going to be hilarious (laughs) (laughs) and how about the role of women in measure for measure yeah it's it's complex um the women so you have isabel who's going to be trying to thinking about being a nun, right? She's a novitiate. You have Mistress Overdone, uh, who runs all these houses of prostitution across the country. You have Mariana, who is still pining after Angelo, even though he left her because she didn't, her dowry went down at sea with her brother, and he left her. So you have those three people. Um, And then there's another nun, Francisca, who is very strict in terms of, she's like, I can't look at men, I can't be anywhere near men. And then we've added a character, there's a character called Various in the play, who is a bit of a servant to the Duke. It's a minor role, we made it into a a more important role called Varia, and it's a woman, Um, and Carolyn Herdman's playing it. And that is really the Duke's um, personal assistant, so all the women are in these in these trapped kind of situations and how they get out of those or particularly for Isabel that she she's we the big question of the play is why is she going into the nunnery why is this beautiful woman very smart probably could be a lawyer on her own, you know, why is she doing that? So we've had to answer that question. And then her, and through the course of the play, she finds her own voice and her strength and her ability to to speak up for herself. Um, so that happens with her. So tell me more about the decision to add a character. How did that come about? 
Um, you know, I did this play 11 years ago, and I wanted to have a woman in the kind of cabinet. You know, you have um, the Duke, and you have Aeschylus, who is really his right-hand man. And when he leaves, he puts Angelo in charge and make, keeps Aeschylus as the second. And I wanted to have a woman who's there, but doesn't have a lot of agency. But then you find out later she actually, the Duke, the Duke trusts her maybe more than anybody else. So does that change things, do you think? I mean, would Shakespeare have approved? Good question. I think Shakespeare would have of approved. Of course he would have. <laughs> of course he would have. He was interested um, in doing plays for our time, you know, in his time, yeah. but now he, I think he would approve. And it is such a modern play that yeah. I, I feel like to not have a female presence in that room seems false. Although these times it might be a little different right well at least you have the perception of 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 having a woman even now there's the perception that there are women involved one or two in the administration you know can you tell us about the original music that's used in this production original music yes by toy diorio and which we're really excited about it's terrific and uh, in what way do you use that it's used as um, underscore. It's used in moments that are outside of the, the text, that are moments that we're creating, the beginning of the play, the end of the play. It's, so it's used mainly for storytelling and, and to underscore and create a little bit of an emotional atmosphere. So it all goes together to create a contemporary uh, production of a play that we need to hear today. Absolutely. Thank you both very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Talkbacks to Go is a production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Our theme music is Er by Steve Tibbetts, and it appears here by permission of the artist, courtesy of ECM Records. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talkbacks to Go. With Orrin Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.